Welcome to For the Record, an unfiltered view on current trends and timeless advice for surviving in the aesthetics industry. Whether you're an injector, practice owner, sales rep, or marketer, it's time to set the record straight. Each week, we cut through the chaos and showcase diverse perspectives and winning ideas from the best minds in the industry. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Hall, Chief Growth Officer at Aesthetic Record. Now, let's get started on this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of For the Record. We're on episode 55 at the tail end of season three. And today we have a innovative, unique, just really cool concept we're going to bring to you on For the Record. A dear friend of mine, Brandon Mullen, is going to join us today. He is a fractional practice manager, which is a whole new world for us in aesthetics. But what Brandon's able to do for Ayana Atelier, which I love the name, although very hard to spell, able to do there to help grow that business, to bring processes, to bring streamlined operations, to now scale to a second location and do all of this really fractionally, living in a different place and going back and forth and having a huge impact. And he's fresh off of his AMSPA talk with an audience of 300 people where he made a hopefully a big splash in the industry, all about the fractional practice manager idea. But he's here today with us, and I am so delighted to have my dear friend on, Brandon. Welcome to our show. Thank you, Tiffany. I appreciate you asking me to be a part of this. Well, I feel like since the day I met you, you've been just, um, a, you're a different breed, right? You think about things in a different way. You think about things. How do you solve the problem? What is the problem? Um, you just attack things with a, a unique approach. And so I love what you're doing, and I want to hear all about it. But you also are a nurse, which I didn't even mention for, you know, you spent a couple decades in healthcare, so you have a nursing background. So give our audience just a little bit of an idea of who you are, what you do, and how you got to this point managing clinics. Absolutely. So I started out with my diploma in nursing in 2009. I did a couple of years of critical care, bedside nursing, and I, I really did enjoy bedside, but I sort of got more into the business mentality. I worked for a care management um, software and uh, did care management for transplant case management. And uh, that was for an insurance company for about five years after that. And I slowly kind of just went into this path of more um, business. I like technology and I liked training. So they kind of, everything kind of married together um, in about 2018 when I worked for a software company, I was an account exec and did some training for them. And I really enjoyed it for the time that I did. And then 2021 came around, the company got sold and I just happened to uh, be at the same time when Ashley Carmen opened up Ion Atelier. She started in January of 2021 with the first Alexandria location. And after about three months, she was solidly booked and she was losing her mind. She's like, I need all these things done. I need help with SEO, website, patient management, client experience. And I said, well, you know, I'll give it a go. So that's kind of the elevator speech of my nursing career since 2009 and, and how I made that jump. Well, we had Ashley on last season talking really about, you know, your impact on her business and how she's growing and scaling and, and just the, the magnitude of being at that point, she was the only injector. She was kind of a sole, you know, the sole practitioner in the practice. And now that's obviously grown, but in doing all that, you know, people hear the word fractional, you know, fractional CEO, fractional HR manager. We think about those things as like corporate jobs. So how do you bring that idea into a clinic, which again, not a giant clinic, you know, this idea of being fractional is so new to all of us. So give us an idea of kind of what that means and what your day-to-day -day looks like for, for Ashley. 
Absolutely. And just to take a step back, the reason why I'm, I'm fractional is that I work half the time and I travel between now the two studios in Virginia and Alexandria and uh, Middleburg, Virginia. And then the other half, I'm in my home office right here doing website management and, and a thousand other things. But, um, you know, how that really came about was because I met Ashley and we had a really strong friendship. We met when we opened up a community hospital here in Pittsburgh, PA back in 2012. And she went to DC because her husband's job took her there. And after she got her foot in aesthetics and really wanted to create and cultivate her own brand and experience, that's when she developed Ion Atelier. So, um, you know, I used my kind of tools and in, in my toolbox that I've learned through the, the little steps that I've had in my career to really kind of define what fractional practice management is. So when I'm on site, my activities look completely different. Um, I'm the front desk. I am the property manager. I uh, try to cultivate those vendor relationships and get them on site. We have our meetings. Um, you know, I can hang pictures on walls. I, I do all of the things. And then when I'm home, I do all of the things that I really don't need her face-to-face -face for. So I have uh, client calls all routed to one phone system that I can look at and I can fill holes in uh, anyone's schedule. I can, you know, do a lot of the things that I don't need to do while I'm sitting there. I can, you know, do so much more patient experience when I'm there versus when I'm at home. Well, I think about that, you know, what you're saying about like the website, SEO, all the things that you have to do that you don't need to be physically there to do, right? Like it's not, not required. But I also think about, you know, patient experience, being out of the clinic, you know, client calls, you get them at your house. I think there's, there's actually a benefit to not being in the middle of the chaos, trying to solve someone's problem. Like I can imagine it's much more peaceful for you, if the, that's the word I would use, to be doing some of those more escalation type activities when you're not physically on site because you can again you're in a quiet room you can think you know think for yourself and like not be in the middle of, of all the all the activity going on in the clinic i don't know do you feel that way like you can get just so much more done when you're not there oh 100 um whenever i am there she's always telling me like you know adding things to my list which is fine but you know my my add just lets me go eight different places so unless it's in a task then i kind of forget about it but when i'm at home i can have that conversation in quiet there's nothing going on in the background um i can go a little deeper if i need to with clients and explain things or procedures um so that's when you know my nursing background and my experience personally and and you know what i've experienced from being around many aesthetic providers in the past few years uh, gives me that kind of advantage. So I can speak to, um, you know, what it's like getting first time Sculptra or, um, you know, getting your talks for the first time. So um, <laughs> we've had it done quite, quite a lot, but, um, you know, I can really speak to that. So, you know, when I'm at home, there's a lot of um, advantage to having that peace and quiet. And that was honestly one of the first things that I did was find a phone system that routed all the calls because we'd be in the studio and literally Ashley's by herself. She runs around, she injects, she checks out, she rebooks, she sells uh, skincare. She does all of that and still juggles her schedule, but she has no time to answer the phone. So I was like, if I'm calling in and I don't get anyone and I have to get a call one, two days later, that's not a great first impression for someone that we're trying to convert. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine how she's doing it all by herself. Like, do you think at some point you'll bring a front desk person into the mix? Or do you like it you know, the way that it is now? Or it's just basically it's you and it's her? I would appreciate having a front desk. I really do like having someone else physically there. Um, and I think that um, our new injector, Angela Burleson, who's spearheading the Middleburg um, office, she was there for four, a four-month residency, kind of training side-by-side side with her. Um, while that was nice, we don't have room physically in our Alexandria location for two injectors. But if we had a front desk, uh, I think that would be great and alleviate a lot of the pressure. So is it something on the table Probably um, it would it would be nice. And just from a safety perspective, I really, you know, you never know what happens in this world today. I'd feel a lot more comfortable if just a, a second person was there. Yeah, we have to think about that now. Right. And even just like if something would happen to Ashley, and there's patients there. There's so many things you have to think about. But, you know, you just came off your first big talk at AM Spa, which congratulations, by the way. I heard it was awesome. And you I'm sure crushed it. I didn't get to be in the room, but I've heard great things about it. And you talked a lot about systems and processes, and I, I gave a similar talk, I think, in a different time, but about systems, processes, and people. So I know that you, you and I are both very aligned on project management software and just getting things automated and workflows. So what are some of the tools that you're using now that, you know, a practice manager coming to you saying, Brandon, I am dying, I'm overwhelmed, help me get my life together. What are things that you recommend? Because you also do a lot of consulting as well to get, you know, the quickest wins or the easiest wins first to kind of get things in order for a practice manager. Absolutely. I think really keeping track of, of tasks and really knowing who has accountability on the next step of that task is very important. We use Asana um, that was recommended by a friend. Initially, we were doing this Google note thing, but we were changing colors and checking boxes and it just, it became way too confusing. So Asana has been a lifesaver and it truly is a project management task software, but we use it um, probably a lot lighter than than what it's intended for, but it really serves a purpose because you can assign the accountability, you can track and trend. If you, you know, uh, complete the task, it doesn't ever go away. So it's there for like a record. It's, it's like a sticky note that never goes away. So that has honestly been a lifesaver. And for me being, you know, type A, Aries, ADD, like I need that visual component too. Um, but I also need the ability to uh, assign and dole out those tasks if I need um, any of the girls to do something um, or for me to do something in the future. So that for me has been amazing. Um, I would say another thing is to utilize the, the Apple functionality um, of shared notes and shared photo uh, folders because we do a lot of our marketing from the pictures in the studio. And when I'm there, I, I usually um, I have one separate phone that I use and I kind of just take a bunch of pictures in case I need it for product and uh, for our website or Google business updates. Um, but I can also be like, hey, um, Angela, can you do this one thing in the studio real quick? And she doesn't have to text it to me. She just adds it to the share drive and it's something that I can reference in the future. So um, those are the, the two major things. In addition to our phone system, we use Grasshopper to route all of the calls to one phone, but I also have the flexibility to I could route it to Tiffany. I could route it to me. I could give it to Steven Soar. Like whoever's on our little network, I can um, pick which line I route to what. So that really helps out too. 
Yeah, because we, we talk about this a lot here. You know, the phone calls that go unanswered, that's a patient that drops off, you know, or a lead that you don't get, right? So if, if the phone doesn't go answered and there isn't like a callback thing, it's an automated function of some sort or, you know, a text back thing, they just kind of poof, they go away and you don't have them anymore. But I think about the Asana thing. We use ClickUp here. We're, we're obsessed with ClickUp. We use it for everything. It's very similar to Asana. We use that for years. And I will tell you, like, marketing activities, like when the newsletters go out, when you're posting, you know, a thing on Canva or you're making something for Instagram, just to have someone be accountable to something and to know it's like they're next in the queue to work on it or they're next in the queue to approve it or edit it is so incredibly helpful because then nothing gets dropped, right? There's always a, um, a path. Everyone can see where it's going to and coming from. And so you all know where you are all the time. I think here, you know, when you're so busy, you just think I'll get it all done, but you won't get it all done. You'll forget something. And so um, I'm sure that you guys assign each other tasks and we, we use it here to help us all kind of stay on track and on flow. But that's the one thing people don't buy in this industry is project management software, and you should definitely go get some. Jira, Asana, ClickUp, Monday, any of them. Just go find one. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely, and it's very cost-effective. I mean, you can honestly use the free version and and still get what you need out of it, but we upgraded to premium um, for a little bit more functionality, but it's really, I mean, the, the time value add alone of, you know, completing tasks and, and just having them, um, be assigned to one person and having the follow-up. I'm a little weird that like I have sort of a, a visual memory when it comes to the task and I, I'll name it a certain thing and I know when I need to reference it in the future to just search for that name and it'll come up. So that's kind of how I, I find a lot of um, a lot of my activities that I need to reference later on. If you make task list of any sort, it formalizes that process for you, and it keeps the record over time, right? Like you mentioned, it's always there. You can go back and see, I did this already once. How did I do it that time? And you can go back and see all the information. And we use it for support tickets here for technology. All, all kind, it's just so such a diverse thing. But kind of thinking through the project management part of it, you know, I know that you're a big systems guy, and you have to be because you're not physically on site. What are some of the processes and things that you know you look at as a practice manager coming into the industry? You know, you've been here what two years with Iana. What are things that you think that we're missing or that you wish someone had said, hey, this, this, you know, you should have a process for this. You should have some kind of a SOP for this thing to get it done. Because I feel like people come into this industry who don't understand maybe aesthetics so well, but they're great at managing businesses. This is like a whole different ballgame when you come into aesthetics. So give us an idea of like how you look at SOPs and processes and things. Absolutely. So when I worked for the clinical software company, I created SOPs and kind of um, step in actions for how people had to click through the software. So I kind of use that to create SOPs because everyone, if you're going to have, you know, especially now, I think this has become a lot more important because we have a second location. If you're going to have that same brand experience everywhere, everyone needs to be doing the same thing in the same way. So even if it's answering the phone, like it may seem a little, you know, elementary, but you have to like, be like, okay, answers the phone, says this in this way, like we have a script for that. Um, and, and we build them manually, but um, that's, that's what works the best. And I think for compliance reasons too, even when, you know, you're injecting, you should be injecting in the same way, having the same dilutions and the consistency across the board. So um, as we continue to scale and hopefully um, replicate this solo injector, solo provider model, um, I'm just going to keep going with it. And I, I just make SOPs as I go on, even when I'm like pulling my monthly reports and doing my KPIs and all that. I just, you know, and more for me too, because sometimes I forget I'm doing so many things. I need to write it down for myself. So it's more of like, okay, this is, you know, more, it's as much as it is for anyone else. 
than it is for me. And, you know, eventually I'm going to have to replicate myself, which is a terrifying thought, but, um, you know, I'm going to need it for the the other me that's going to have to um, help manage Middleburg. So, you know, um, long-winded answer is, you know, I, I make them manually and I just pretend like I'm, if I had to instruct you to, um, go in and do it blindly, like you should be able to follow my steps and complete it successfully. Yeah. I think people, well, I'm like you though, whenever it's my thing, I'm the worst, you know, I, I help build them for AR all the time and we have all these beautiful SOPs and I'm the person who never follows them. Right. Cause I'm chaotic. It's busy. I'm in the middle of something else. Like, oh, I'll get to it in a minute. And I just don't follow it. So I think that's part of it too, is like, if you're going to replicate yourself, I think about if I were to replicate me, I've got to really like dig deep and <laughs> dive in and really follow my own SOPs because you can never replicate my chaos. But I think what you mentioned about now at the second location is you can't replicate chaos. I mean, you have, you've got to get it buttoned up to go to the second location. So in doing that, so in building the second location, knowing that you have a single provider model, you know, you're not at the front desk right now, but hope maybe soon. There is only one of you. How did you think about the, the expansion of that? And even from Ashley training another injector, how did you guys really get um, get everything together? I feel like that's, you know, one is one, two is a million. It's just like having children, right? The second one's just exponentially harder to even think through. How, how do we duplicate this experience, the client experience, the business experience, your management, you know, management experience to a second location without everyone like losing their mind? So, um, you know, love the insanity that is, you know, my life. I always say blessed to be stressed, but um, honestly, the first thing for Ashley and, and for the brand was to find the person. We needed that perfect injector because basically being that solo injector, solo provider, it's almost like owning your own business. So we needed somebody that had the drive, the passion, the skill, and the independence and autonomy to, you know, given this setup, given this brand, given the building, everything, all of the tools that you need, you know, can you be successful? And we needed to find that person first. And luckily we did that and everything else honestly fell into place. We found a location that was uh, near her home that happened to be in an area that um, was in need of um, a a little bit of a different experience. So we um, did a little bit of research not as much as we probably should have, but, you know, we did enough and we're very happy with the decision. We love the location and it fits the brand and the vision that is currently in Alexandria. So it's cute. It's quaint. It's warm. It's inviting. It's very small town. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of new home construction coming uh, very soon in the next couple of years. They're starting now. So um, we're, we're looking forward to uh, making a name in, in Middleburg, but um, everything else kind of fell into place after that. We found one property at first that we fell in love with. It just didn't work out. And I'm a strong believer in everything happens for a reason. So there was another building that uh, came up for lease. It ended up being um, a complete disaster in the beginning, but Ashley has a great vision and uh, sense. So, you know, she signed it and we made it work and it is absolutely gorgeous. It features nearly everything that we have in Alexandria. So, you know, we have a a scented flower wall that um, smells like live eucalyptus. It's gorgeous. You know, same thing there. We have the same exact colors to be very, um, you know, synonymous with what's in Alexandria. But, um, you know, all of that stuff just kind of came naturally and we duplicated it. And, um, you know, the other really key thing was when we were going to open the space because we were, on the fence about trying to to rush it and 
open it in Q4 2021, or I'm sorry, 22, but it didn't work out that way. And again, everything happens for a reason because Angela was able to sit side by side with Ashley for a little over four months and do a residency. And it really helped to drive in all of the kind of brand standards that we've now have. Like she was able to talk the talk. She was able to learn all of the packages and how everything is priced and really get that ingrained in her. And we had a lot more time for her to start to absorb all of the products that we carry, both skincare lines. We got in-depth education on that. Um, you know, it was, it was a really great four months. And like I said, it was great when, <laughs> when I was there too, because I had more time to do the things that I needed to do. And I could go out in the community and do a little bit more engagement, but um, really those, you know, it was people first place second. Um, you know, we can build anything where, where we need to. So replicating that brand experience was really the, the most, uh, that was the easiest part and everything else just kind of fell into place. Well, I love what you said about that, that she came and sat with Ashley, you know, for four months and really learned. Cause I think in a second location, if you don't have an established location, like you're building it for the, you know, you're for the first time like you're doing, right? This is the first time you're building a second location. There are no things already in place there, right? There is no like um, tribal knowledge or organizational knowledge that already exists. You'd have to go do that. Like I can't imagine opening a second location with a whole new team that I'm going to like seed that location and no one's there to help make sure that it's on track with what we do at our, you know, our, our main flagship store. There has to be some kind of connection there. And I think a lot of people throw these med spas up quickly, like they franchise or they do change. They just keep building and building and building. And they have a hard time keeping the experience consistent because they don't have someone there saying, come sit with me, learn with me, be beside me, train with me. And then you can go on your own, you know, still for me, but you can go on your own and you, you know, the brand inside and out, you know how to be part of the brand and represent the brand because you know, there people are building things right now, as you know, fast and furious. And some of them come up as fast as they come back down. And it, I think there is a, uh, a big risk at scale. So if you go to a third location, you know, I'm guessing the same kind of thing, right? You'll have that person come sit with either Angela or with Ashley, you know, do the same kind of thing again, learn, grow, learn the brand, and then go on and see the third location and the fourth location. But what is your goal for that? I mean, do you see this being like a, a 15 location conglomerate or are you going to take it slow and kind of walk into it? What's the plan? Absolutely. And, you know, you made me just think of one thing. If, if that residency didn't happen, it honestly probably would have been a lot more work for me because I would never want anyone to feel that they weren't supported. So I probably would be on site more than I am in the second location. But because she had that four month residency, um, I, she's very good um, being independent right now. And as the traction picks up, I think she'll be great. So um, really made me think about that. So, you know, that being said, going to multiple locations. No, I don't think we're going to be like a, a 20 location um, kind of vibe. But I think, again, if we run into the perfect situation where uh, Ashley meets an injector that she sees a drive-in and has a really good feeling in her gut that she could be a great spokesmodel for um, Ayana and the brand and would be good kind of replicating her business model and it's the right place and like everything makes sense. I don't see why we couldn't. Um, it, it, the possibilities are endless. I've learned in my life to never say never. So, you know, we could be a 20 location. I don't really see that though. I don't think that's really what she wants. She loves small and intimate and, and having, um, some level of control over everything. So I think that'd be a lot. Um, but 
you know, sky's the limit, right? So we'll see. You never know, as they say. But, you know, as I think through, you know, we just came back from AMSPA, obviously. You were you were there, too. And they have a lot of practice management content. We have it at Aesthetic Next as well. There's, like, game business, you know, going going on right now. But I feel like we don't do nearly enough for the practice manager role or even the practice support staff role to really prepare them for their job. We, we talk about injection technique. You know, my gosh, the amount of training you can get on injection technique, it's just everywhere. But there's not a whole lot of resources for practice managers out there. So, you know, what do you foresee as like the way that we could help people to understand what you know and grasp what you know? Because I do think if you're, you know, you manage a small practice, right? We have a lot of people on the show who manage these like really large, giant practices. And it's a much different battle every day. You have the same the same amount of problems. They just look different if you're small, if you're big. But where do we start to build like a network or a group or something that looks like an injector network, but it's for like practice managers? Absolutely. I feel there's a lot of focus on like, how do we find the injector? But I don't know why I keep doing this on air quotes, but I'm going to stop <laughs> doing that now. Um, but I really think there needs to be a focus and a drive on, you know, kind of like an association. You know, when I was a nurse, I got my CCRN. There should be not like a certification maybe, but um, some sort of networking group or kind of masterminds for practice managers. A lot of the feedback that I got from my talk was that, you know, I'm new in this. I just don't know what to do. And you're being thrown to the wolves. And I know that feeling that's how I, you know, I willingly signed up to do this. I knew that was going to be the first six months, but um, there's so much to learn. So I think that, um, you know, trying to connect us in a different way in some sort of network or mastermind group is, is the next step to at least, getting people together and seeing what the interest is. I mean, uh, the amount of people that came up to me and reached out to me on LinkedIn, I was, I was very humbled and gratified because, you know, I think like a lot of people, I have imposter syndrome. I'm like, what do I have to say? What do I have to offer? But um, you know, it, people found value in what I had to say. And it, it was very easy for me because it's just what I do. Um, it's um, something I really like to share with people more. So I'm really hoping to, to work with um, great partners like you and, and AmSpot to kind of figure that out and see, you know, how we can educate, how we can influence, how we can work together um, so that nobody feels alone. They feel supported. They feel like they can talk to somebody if they have a question or if they want to validate or bounce something off of somebody, um, just like injectors do. The, the group that I work with, you know, we, we roll in like a Tahoe full all the time into trainings and stuff. And they're constantly asking questions of each other. And, you know, is this right? Am I doing this? Does this look okay? Should I, you know, do this differently? So it's, it's always good to have that kind of feedback loop with, with any person in this industry from the front desk to the medical director. Well, yeah, I, mean, I get questions here all the time. Like, how should I pay my people? How should I look at performance reviews? like things that they contact me for, which I'm happy to help. But I think to myself, if that were an injector saying, how do I, you know, do a dental block? How do I inject this cheek? They would call another injector, right? You would just call your, your friend who's an injector or your injector trainer that you work with before and you get the answer. You wouldn't call some like random third party stranger to say, hey, how do you, you know, what do you know about compensation? So I do think that there's obviously a big gap in the industry because I'm getting questions about things. <clears throat> I'm sure you are as well. And so I do think it's it's high time where, you know, the non-injector manager, so I think a lot of the meetings, in, we're guilty of this too, like next, is the same person is both the owner, the manager, and the injector, and they're trying to bounce around to different content buckets and go different places. And 
And so we kind of almost merged them all together into one kind of big thing. I feel like there should be a practice manager only group or meeting or something to say, this is a hard thing to do also. And when we're here, we're going to talk about how to be a practice manager, not how to be an injector, but just a practice manager and focus on, is it writing SOPs? Is it finding the right software partner? Is it, you know, how do you hire and fire and stay compliant with, you know, all the laws and the rules? Should you do commission or productivity bonuses? Like all the things we talk about all the time, but really focused on, on people like us. Because I, I think about even for you, a resume coming in, right? So someone wants to apply for a job as a practice manager. And I'm, and I'm Ashley, I'm the injector owner. What do I look for in that resume? What are the transferable skills I should be looking for or things that I want to make sure that person has? I mean, you're obviously Brandon Mullen, comma, RN. So you have a, a nice advantage. You already have a medical background, which is, I'm sure, great for her. But let's say I'm not medical at all. What are the things in my resume that you'd want to see from me to say, yep, you're going to be a good practice manager. I'm going to hire you. Yeah, that's a great point because I've run into a couple of people that, you know, I look for those those kind of attributes to to mold because I don't think you honestly need to have a medical background. Is it nice? Yeah, but it's absolutely not necessary. I think that people need to be um, autonomous. They need to be willing to learn. They need to be humble. Like I would, I'll clean a toilet any day. Nothing is above me. I, I, I will do anything. When I first started with Ashley, I said, I will do anything to make your life easier. And I should have probably put some guardrails on that, but I mean, that's just the kind of person that I am. Um, you know, I'm selfless. I am nurturing. I am um, diligent with following up. I can, you know, really understand and read a room and understand if uh, like a client looks like, you know, they're way over their head with knowledge and, you know, they need a little bit uh, of time like, like to help kind of manage those expectations. Um, and I think you need to be someone that is a little savvy in, in business and just in life um, to be able to network and make connections is a, a very big part. Um, but also, I think you need to be um, a good manager. And I'm, I'm learning that with Angela. She's the first um, true employee. So, you know, kind of, you know, traditionally managing, like you said, we don't have a ton of employees, but, you know, just thinking, you know, I really need to check in with her and do one-on-ones and make sure that, you know, she's giving honest feedback and she doesn't need anything or, you know, feels free to um, ask a question if she has a concern and not let that bottle up. So, um, you know, those are uh, some of the qualities that I think just make a, a really good practice manager. Yeah, I think people have no idea how hard it is to manage a business and also manage people at the same time. Like it's, um, we, we kind of ascribe here to the role of, it's Amazon's role about the pizza boxes. You know, one person should manage five to seven people at max. And then at the seventh person, you have to have a new manager for that group because it's too many people for one human to actually manage. And so, you know, I manage more of like the department heads in our in our business. And so, you know, we're pretty close to that seven person mark. But I look at myself doing it, Brandon. You know, I, I don't have time in many cases to manage the business all day and run the business, but then also have one-on-ones and touch points and, you know, be a cheerleader and tell them how great they're doing it because they are doing great and like really be part of that. And I think if you're a new manager coming into this, leading people is a whole nother world. I mean, you can run an amazing business from like an operation standpoint and be a miserable people manager or, or be great. People be terrible at the business. Like it, you may not have both things. And I think it's hard to know that until someone actually comes in and works for you to really check out how they work with other people. But um, I don't know, you know, you, you obviously have a few people who are working with now, but as you guys grow and you move and you change and you develop, you'll have to have other managers below you and departments and people. And it just becomes, it just grows out of control and it is, and it's an exhausting task. So 
I commend you for already thinking through that and thinking through the things you have to have done to make all that work. Absolutely. I don't know how you do it. Well, I know you don't sleep and you're an Aries, so I know like half of how you do it, but um, you, uh, you're a powerhouse. You manage so much and to even, you know, take on aesthetic next. And I, I don't know, you're, you're amazing. <laughs> I think I'm just crazy. I mean, those of you who are watching right now have dirty hair. I'm fresh off a plane from Clearwater from an event with Renuva. Like we're all everywhere all the time. I think the whole industry is just busy because we're booming, right? The industry is growing so rapidly that you have to kind of ride the wave right now because this is when it's all happening. And so I think there is a part of it. You mentioned imposter syndrome, I don't have that necessarily. I have, I can't say no syndrome, right? We all have a thing that we believe in. Like I, I just can't say no to anyone. I'm like I want to help everyone all the time. I want to be, you know, a resource for everyone. And I think even in a manager role, you get to that point where you have to start saying no. And you have to start thinking to yourself, is my time worth it? Is it worth it for the practice overall or for the business overall? And if I do this thing, what can I not do because of it? And can I delegate that out to someone else? I think the delegation part is extraordinarily hard. And the more that you grow with a business, learning to get rid of the things or let go of the things that you've kind of built and raised on your own, your babies, it becomes very, very cumbersome and tire and really tiring and sad in some cases to like let it go and let it, you know, bless and release as they say in the South. But I don't know <laughs> if you have that issue, you know, what is your delegation? Give us some delegation ideas of how do we learn to let go and like, you know, move on to the next big task or challenge. Well, I think that the biggest thing is having that trust, no matter what position you're in, you have to have that trust. And you know, for the first year, Ashley was was helping me and grooming me and, you know, educating me on all the things. So she has to have that trust before I, you know, independently put in that order for skincare or, you know, text them about product needs or anything. But really, um, I think that to your previous point, too, about protecting yourself, sometimes that's one of my hardest jobs is that, I, I mean, I... I have a hard time saying no. So, you know, I'm pot calling the kettle black, but one thing that I try to do is to help um, Ashley not overbook herself because now that she's getting busy and she's a game trainer and an AMI trainer and a private trainer, like there are so many asks and she never wants to say no to them or that patient that's coming in and she's flying in from New York and needs injected this one night, she, you know, she'll just throw her on, but you know, she has, um, you know, a wonderful husband and a dog and a life. And she needs to like, you know, find that balance too. But um, I try to tell her, you know, let me take these small things off your plate. You know, you can see the visibility in a task or an email. So, you know, she um, is very connected in that way. But, you know, that's what I try to do is to make her life just a little bit easier. And I, I think I'm doing okay. Um, you know, always room for improvement, but um, I think it really just comes down to that level of trust and transparency that you have with any of your staff members that really helps a person feel like they can delegate and they can let go and they can go on vacation and they can take that day off. Um, so, you know, slowly but surely she's getting a lot better with that, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll get guardrail some year, but well, maybe in 2024. <laughs> maybe we'll all work towards it. But, you know, you mentioned before making connections with the industry. And I feel like you are a very connected person. Even like thinking about AMSPA, you know, give us an idea of, first of all, how you got on a podium at AMSPA. Because, you know, I think people are so um, confused about getting on podiums. Actually, someone came to our booth at AMSPA and said, I'm a really big deal. And how come I never get asked to be at Aesthetic Next? I'm a huge injector. I'm so important. And I'm like, well, because you never told me you wanted to come. You know, like, 
I don't have um I don't have feelers out for every single person in the entire industry of like who wants to come to aesthetic next. And so a lot of it's like raising your hand and connecting to people and saying, hey, I want to do this. I have, a, I have a thing I want to share with your audience. Like, let me be on your podium. But how did you make that connection to get on a podium at AMSPA? And what kind of advice would you give for people who are starting out in the industry saying, you know, I'm not an injector, but I want to be in the conversation. I want to be at the table and be part of the decision making for the industry. How do they get to that table? Absolutely. So whenever I first started with Ashley, like I said, I didn't know what I was doing. So I researched professional organizations and the first one I signed up for was AmSpot and they had a boot camp in Orlando and I learned a ton. And because of that boot camp, I learned about what the medical spa show was. So I signed up for that and I ended up at Aesthetic Next too. So, um, you know, I went to um, the medical spa show and they sent a follow-up email and they're like, hey, if you have something you want to talk about, you know, send in your abstract. And I simply did that not really expecting anything, but when I was at uh, the med spa show, I made it a point to connect with anybody that I could. I'm a huge LinkedIn dork. Um, I would take pictures of badges and, and stock people on LinkedIn and see what they did. I was just very intrigued about their titles and where they came from. You know, were they all nurses? Were you business? You know, what did you do before this? So that was really key. And I came to find out a little bit later that um, one of the, the client relationship managers um, that works for AmSpot, we were chatting it up and it was really because of that chat that I had that she kind of cheered me on to um, get me a, a speaker role. So she really, I think, helped me to push my my talk and my agenda forward. And this year when I went, you know, I met a lot more people. Obviously, I had a little bit more access being faculty and it was amazing. Um, you know, it's the same thing that you do. You send an abstract to to me and I, I filled it out too. So um, I think you really have to just have a, an idea for something that people want to hear. Um, and in my case, I really, I heard a lot of good things from practice managers, um, but I really felt like I just wanted to share my story coming from a little bit of a different business model. And apparently other people do too. So uh, it really wasn't that hard. It's really just putting forth that energy and using these conferences as a networking opportunity. Like, yes, they have, you guys have great uh, parties and, you know, the, the food and drinks are amazing, but it's also, um, you know, it's a job. It's, you need to go around, you need to meet people. You need to foster those relationships. I love um, when I went to AmSpa and Aesthetic Next and saw the vendors that we work with, you know, they have our skincares there, our, you know, some of our devices and stuff, like it's great. So. Um, it's, it's really, you know, meeting people that you email all the time and, and they're there in person. You're like, Hey, this is great. So just kind of, you know, building that relationship a little bit more, you know, you never know what, um, what can happen after you meet somebody. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really just about that, that networking and putting yourself out there. Well, you said something there that really just, um, hits home for me about, when you're there, it's like you're, you're at work, it's your job, right? To go around and meet people and to network and connect. It always surprises me, and I'm not passing any judgment at all, but I see people who come to meetings, even in the Tech Next last year, and I'm getting pictures of them like in the pool having a cocktail at 2 in the afternoon. I'm like, you're, you paid to come to a meeting with all these amazing people who are doing what you do that you should connect with, and you're choosing instead to go to the pool and like have a cocktail, or even in Vegas, like you're going to go gamble all day instead. Like, what did you come here for? Like, and again, I'm not passing judgment because maybe there's reasons, but I think about it as like when you're there, that is your time to get noticed, to notice others, to be part of the conversation. And, and to your point, like meet all your vendors, meet people who you work with every single day that you've you know never met in person before. 
I don't know. I just think there's a there's a part of it where the meetings are a chance to connect, network, and to make yourself or put yourself in a position to be noticed next time. You know, like, like what you did with LinkedIn. I met you on LinkedIn also. I think I think you LinkedIn me, and that's how we got connected a couple of years ago. You are LinkedIn dork. You're not you're not joking. I'm not um, lying. <laughs> but it, but it works. But I do think people have to take it seriously. And I think the you know the meeting advisors or meeting organizers. We spend a lot of time on the content, what to offer, CMEs grants all the things and then to have people who come but then never actually come to the meeting is always like a gut wrencher for me like you're already here just come to the meeting because the vendors pay a lot to be there the faculty have obviously flown in they've taken time out of their practices to come in it's like they have good things to say come and listen and be part of it but um you know from a networking perspective with vendors i'm curious too with you being fractional how that works like how do you connect with the vendors how do you you meet with them on site when you're there. You know, how do you really bring all of the the vendor benefits and, and practice benefits to you as you're bouncing around all these different places? No, it's a great point. So I do a mix of things. So if they um, need to chat with with me, it's a lot easier whenever I am at home. Obviously, um, I call them on my way down to Virginia. I have a nice four hour drive. If I'm not listening to podcasts, I'm usually like calling them. I think they have GPS on me because they always seem to call me when I'm on my way down too. But, um, you know, I just talked to one today and I, um, I'm very good at, at kind of keeping them in, in the loop of what we're doing. Like for example, our Galentine's and grand opening in Middleburg next week. Um, you know, we obviously would love to have support in many ways. We want them on site. We want them to educate. This is a whole new crowd that isn't familiar with our services and our products. So, you know, a lot of them are coming on site that can, um, you know, sometimes we have them come casually, but this time I'm like, you know what, we want you educating, not like super formally, but we want you in scrubs, you know, not holding a glass of wine. We want you to talk about your products. We want you to talk about how they incorporate into the brand. And, um, you know, they, they provide support in, in product and financial um, for the party. It makes things like this possible, but keeping them um, abreast of what we're doing, the specials that we're having, the promos really helps them, you know, sell more product to us because we're consuming it because we're selling it because we're doing good. So, um, you know, it's, it's really beneficial for everyone involved to really make your vendors your best friends. Um, you know, but when I'm there, it's always nice to know them on more than a professional level. We, you know, we get intimate with their lives and we, you know, we want to know who they're dating and how their dog is doing. Like it's not all just transactional. So we try to squeeze in as many dinners, lunches, 25 minute coffee breaks as we possibly can, because we have a genuine interest in them as a person. It's not just like an, an ATM transaction. Well, and I, it's interesting you mentioned that because I just came back from a national sales meeting. I was giving a lecture to sales reps about how to sell aesthetics. I talked about that a lot. Like you are the brand, you know, you can have an amazing product that's so good and the best product ever, but that rep in the room, that rep who's calling and following up and offering services to you and being part of your life. I mean, cause we work a lot, right? It is our life. They have a huge responsibility because they've got to be likable, right? They've got to be like part of, part of your practice when they're there. And so I think we often discount that the rep in many cases, I can love your product. And if I don't like the rep, I won't buy it. I won't work with you because I don't want to work with people I don't like. You know, I don't want to be part of that conversation. If if I don't think that you're trustworthy, you're ethical, or, you know, you have an interest in really helping our practice grow or our business here they are, I won't work with you because um, we have choices now. Right? We have so many choices. But to that point, how do you guys decide what you bring in? Because I find one other, one thing that people really stress about when they have a small practice is inventory on the shelf. Like, how much do I stock? 
what if we have another COVID happen? You know, do I need to bring in all the brands or a couple brands? Because they all kind of do the same thing, but maybe they're a little bit different. So how do you decide like your inventory mix of services so that you feel comfortable with your like financial investment part of it? Absolutely. 100% the number one thing that grinds both of our gears is when someone comes in unannounced because as you know, like when I'm not there, Ashley's injecting, she's running around like a nut. She cannot give you the time of day. So when you come in unannounced, that's strike number one. I don't care what you're selling. You could sell something cheap. It doesn't matter. Don't want it. Get out. Um, I've learned to develop a sheet that is very informational. If it's something that we don't have, or if it's a laser rep or something, I'm like, here's a sheet of things to do. I want you to tell me about the product, like all the stats, who's selling it in the area, whatever. It's this whole laundry list of things. Ask me how many people have ever filled it out. Not one. No one has ever followed up on it. So those people that come in and announce, mm -mm, you're done. Um, when we're making a choice on something, um, it's not usually something, it's, it's very rare that someone um, cold calls. Um, it's something that we've either researched or there's a need or they have approached it in a way that they presented it maybe like in an email or a short video that we can view on our own time that might be beneficial. Um, so that's kind of like how we find something new. As far as inventory, our, our studio in Old Town is so small. We do not have room for barely me and thank God I'm skinny. Um, so I love that a lot of brands are going to like having microsites or drop shipping to home because we can carry a little bit on hand because we don't have room to store it. Um, so that is amazing. If that's an, a thing that's offered things like, um, skin aid and neutrophil supplements like that, um, that we love and we believe in, um, you know, they have microsites and dropship options like that. So I am seeing a lot of things move to that. Um, if it's something we do need to buy in bulk, then we, we obviously find creative solutions to store it. But, uh, for the most part, we just try to, to manage, but now that we have like the second location, we have a little bit more storage capacity. Uh, it's just a little bit farther away. Um, but we just really try to be mindful of our consumption and look at how much we're selling every month, um, how much we're going through. I always try to track the popular services and packages to see what's trending in what month, what do we need to kind of ramp up for? What do we need to scale back on? So, you know, making sure that things aren't um, getting dusty on the shelves and it's <laughs> basically nothing, but we try to be smart and calculated with um, what we carry on hand versus, you know, trying to get something just because it's, uh, it's a good deal to buy a little bit more of. Yeah, I look at like just in time shipping, right? Every vendor does typically like overnight or two day or, you know, three day, pretty, pretty quick shipping. I think about, you don't have this problem because Ashley's the only one in the spa right now. And obviously you'll have one person in your other spa, but when things are on the shelf in like mass quantity and you have lots of bodies in there, things start walking away. Like it's more to manage, more to count, more to control. Like I, I love the idea of like you buy what you need in a certain run rate of consumption and that's all that's on your shelf. That way, you know, let's say Ashley gets deathly ill and she's gone for, you know, a week or something, something happens. It just it doesn't just sit there eating away at you to pay the bill without anything being done, you know, done with it. I just, I get really nervous about when I see practices who have, you know, hundreds of CCs on the shelf. I'm like, to do what? Like, you can't use that in a whole week. Like, it's just sitting there. Just, you know, it's it's the, the carrying cost of, of the goods. It makes me super nervous. So I think I love the idea that they're doing like drop shipping, these like micro sites. Like, that's genius because a lot of practices, to your point, they don't have the real estate. Like, there's just not enough room in the practice to store all the stuff in bulk. And so I often wonder when the manufacturers will catch on to that of saying, 
I'd rather you buy every single day than buy once a month in some giant quantity, right? Like, because I think if, if you're the practice manager walking into that room and seeing inventory just sitting on the shelf for days and days, even if we're draining it down, but we're not draining it down fast enough, I'm haunted by that. And I'm going to see the reference be like, oh, we bought all your product and we can't sell any of it, which maybe we are selling it, but I, I don't know because we bought so much that to make a dent in it, you can't even tell. So I, I love the idea of like this quick turn, buy it, sell it, buy it, sell it. The bill's coming due before, you know, you've already, you've already sold it before the bill ever comes due. I just think it's a much more, um, my psychological safety need really, really requires that because I'm, I'm fearful of the whole COVID thing happening again and people being, you know, kind of hung out to dry with all this inventory and they can't sell any of it. Right. And I think that one thing that Ashley did that's very smart is she has very low overhead, but especially with um, skincare products, we do at least like quarterly or seasonally skincare bundles. So we curate bundles based on the weather, you know, what we're seeing in the area about people complaining, are they too dry? Do they want, um, you know, pigment concerns? Do they need sunscreen? So we'll curate these bundles and put products in there that of course makes sense for them. But, you know, if we have a little bit more of this than that, that might be a deciding factor too, so that it doesn't go to waste. We also do a lot of um, uh, giveaways too. Uh, we're very active in the community. Um, Ashley's very, um, very, uh, you know, she gives back a lot to the community. So, you know, she'll curate bundles and give them away with a gift certificate. So, you know, we, we kind of use them in more creative ways than probably the average bear. It's not just uh, mail order and in-store purchases. Yeah, you just hit the nail on the head for marketing, being your community, being part of the community. I feel like people have an affinity to your brand because of that. And they would come in and say, because I know you guys gave to this organization or did this charitable event or, you know, helped with this thing, I want to give back to you and, you know, shop local and be part of your business as well. I think people underestimate the value of that and how important it is to have your name attached to good deeds. Obviously doing it for a good reason. I don't mean it like that, but when your name is attached to good deeds and you're doing good things, people want, they want to reciprocate that, right? And come back in and, and be loyal to you as well as part of the community. But in thinking through all that, all the things that you are doing and, you know, your ideas and your innovation, I know that you guys do some consulting. So give us an idea um, as we kind of wrap up here. If folks want to get a hold of you or of Ashley and learn about this model more and learn how to do it and what it what it means, like how much consulting can you or do you offer now? And is it part of your services with, with IANA? How do we get a hold of you and learn, pick your brain for all the things? Absolutely. So on our website, www.ionaatelier.com, we have a specific tab, the training tab, and it details um, some of the services that we have. And you can just send an inquiry into that. And we have a kind of menu and laundry list of what we offer. So um, Ashley does private training, offsite and onsite. Um, I do uh, business consulting, virtual and in-person. Ashley does um, consulting as well, too, for business. Um, and we can kind of work with you to meet you where you are and see what your needs are. So um, I usually do like a little five-minute phone consult just to see um, what your specific goals and concerns are. And we can kind of go from there. But the first step is going onto our website going to that training tab and um, just filling out your information and we'll get back to you. And how does that look for practice who says, you know, I want to do this with you, Brandon. I want to be part of, you know, part of this training um, service. Do you work with them like on their numbers, on just overall infrastructure and setup? Like what's an average um, consulting agreement kind of entail? 
To be honest, it's it's so variable because especially with a virtual, um, you know, a lot of things can happen in a 30 minute conversation. So it could go in one place and, and end up in a completely different number. But usually it's like, you know, I'm in this area. This is my clientele. I don't know what I should do. Should I buy this? Should I do that? Um, you know, should I hire this one? Should, you know, do I really need this? So, um, you know, depending on how granular you want to get. Uh, depends on you know how much time and and um, you want to invest in that um, consulting you know half hour hour or more so um, it's it's pretty variable but we can really um, address a lot of broad concerns in a short amount of time it just depends on how deep you want to get with it. Yeah, I asked because I had three people come up to me at the, at the conference at Amsfoss saying, hey, can you help me start my practice? I need a practice consultant to start the practice. And I'm like, no, I cannot. I cannot take that on. I'm sorry. I would love to help you, but I cannot do it. I think people are really, really desperate for that kind of help because, again, there's not a network. There's not a resource. There's not some big group exchanging ideas. So I think one of our takeaways from this podcast is that we should start that in all of our free time. Okay. We should figure out how to, how to organize some kind of a practice manager group where it's, you know, a resource for like the things you should do to set it up. And I think Ansible has some great things already in the works that they do. We have some things at Static Next. I think just personally, you and I have some things, you know, there's lots of us out there who do this kind of thing. We should all get together and like a, a band of brothers and figure out a way to help people who are new to the industry to do it right. Because I think that part of, we talk about the injections being wild, wild west all the time. Like, you know, we're trying to make the injections safer, more effective. But I think the business setup is equally as big of a risk for us. The money, the way it changes hands, being compliant, all that is a business issue, not an injection issue. And so I think until we focus on the business in the same way we focus on the injectable part of it, we're never going to get to the place where we're truly sophisticated and mature. So someone out there who hears this, call me. Let's figure out a way to get this done because I feel like it's such a need. And, you know, I think from what you're talking, from the feedback you had, just from what I hear, people really want it. So, Brandon, that's our task. Our Aries, put it on our, our Asana board, our ClickUp board. we got to get this thing done. Absolutely. I'm 100%. Like, we'll figure it out in our non-existent spare time, but it's definitely something that, that needs to happen um, sooner rather than later. Yeah, so if you guys are in the, in the market for some help to figure out things that you're maybe missing or your blind spots or just to get a really good gut check about your practice and, and where you are and if you're pacing correctly, I think Brandon's done so much in his historical business knowledge of, you know, between software, between, you know, being in medicine that you could really shed a lot of light on a lot of things. So I hope you guys will reach out to them and, and certainly take advantage of that opportunity. But Brandon, tell us how to find you. And, and guys, I'll link um, Ayana's website in the comments and in the podcast overview because it's hard, it's hard to spell for me. So I'll make sure I link it so you guys can see it. But give us an idea of how to contact you directly from LinkedIn, the whole, all the places so that we can get a hold of you if we want to. Absolutely. So the easiest way is to um, go to my Instagram. It's the underscore aesthetic consultant. And I just made a link tree last week because I'm so not good at Instagram. I really need to get good at it. But um, I did add a link tree. So all the things are on there now. Link tree is a lifesaver. You got to have a link tree. And then we'll see you at Aesthetic Next this year. I'm, I'm slowly but surely sending out all the abstract confirmation things to get everyone booked. Because, again, all the free time. But we'll definitely see you at Aesthetic Next. Hopefully doing a few podiums there. And, and hopefully getting our new practice manager group together for a cocktail or something. And maybe a little uh, mini boot camp if we can all get together. So I think we have some cool things this year for new practice managers that, you know, the things we talked about today would be so impactful for them to hear and really understand that this that there is a way forward, that this is hard, but it does get easier as you get, you know, kind of get your processes and things together. But what else is next for you besides those two meetings? Where are you going next? 
So I think next, um, we're really gonna focus on getting um, the Middleburg Grand Opening um, off next week. So very excited about that. Uh, Conference-wise, I think, um, gonna do an AMSPA boot camp in Phoenix. Um, partially for pleasure, I'm not gonna lie, because it is my birthday weekend, um, and it just happens to be in, in Phoenix on that weekend. So, um, but I also wanna bring um, another practice manager that reached out and wants to learn a little bit more. I'm gonna bring her and her, um, her owner to that meeting. So they're local to me in Pittsburgh and very excited to attend that for their first time. See you guys, make those connections. They, your connections will help bring you through, network you through and get you what you need to be successful. So, well, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And, and it makes me think about the future and get excited about innovation and what we can be doing here because you have so much energy all the time. And congrats on the second location. I can't wait to see all the Instagram fodder over that. I'm sure it'll be fantastic. And for your big talk at AMSPA, I can't wait to see you in September. Hopefully it'll be here longer than I than I know it because I need many, <laughs> many, many, many days and hours to plan. But at the same time, I know it'll be a blink of an eye and I'll see you again soon. So, but again, thank you for coming on. Any last thoughts? Absolutely. No, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, for the record, you've been a great guest and I will see all the rest of you next week for episode 56. Bye guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Record. This podcast is not intended to provide legal or medical advice. It's for entertainment, education, and information purposes only. For more information on this week's guest or to get started with Aesthetic Record, email us at info at aestheticrecord.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more fresh perspectives on disrupting the status quo and surviving in the aesthetics industry.